All right, good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to uh, Lockdown Learning Week 2. We are dealing with uh, the big questions of Jewish philosophy. We are back to um, the topic of um, f- uh, prophecy this week we're in philosophy, and we're going to be dealing with uh, the concept of prophecy. Now, specifically, we're going to be dealing with the questions, uh, uh, prophecy over two weeks. This week we're going to talk about the concept of the prophet per se and the experience of prophecy. Whereas next week we're going to be talking about the idea of what exactly the goal and purpose of prophecy is. And it's not entirely clear either of those. So the way we're going to go through it this evening is predominantly through the works of the Rambam. Now not everyone agrees with the Rambam as we will see shortly. But um, the, the real goal is to give us a perspective of what prophecy is and what prophecy isn't. Because often when we talk of prophecy, we just think of people having visions and uh, images or God speaking to them. And um, even if you read the text itself without embellishing with rabbinic insights, it's clear that that's not what happens. And uh, we'll just talk about what exactly the the idea of prophecy, but we're going to see it specifically through the eyes of the Rambam. (coughs) So um, I'm going to share my screen with you. All right, so the Rambam, uh, <coughs> apologies, the Rambam wrote three major works that um, that we have currently within the uh, the corpus of rabbinic literature. The most well known is what we call the Mishnah Torah. Now, the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam was uh, the Rambam's way of summarizing the entire oral tradition, meaning the Mishnah and the Gemara into usable practical steps and practical laws. And that is called the Mishnah Torah. (coughs) And in the introduction to the Rambam, he writes at the fact that ultimately this was written for the lay people, that it should be that the the only two books you really need on your bookshelf are Tanakh and uh, the Mishnah Torah. And you need no other other set of works. Now, it's quite presumptuous to say that, but that was what the Rambam was. He wasn't, uh, he was not... um, scared to say some uh, some very bold comments. And so the, the Mishnah Torah is the halachic system that was set up from the, everything that encompasses the entirety of Jewish life. So even though many of the laws are not practical today, so laws of the temple, laws of kings, of, uh, of waging wars, uh, laws of purity and impurity, the various laws of the land, even those aren't practical, the Rambam has that in the Mishnah Torah. The, the first book that actually the Rambam wrote was his Parish Mishnah. It was his uh, commentary on the Mishnah, which he actually wrote as a teenager. The final book, which we will speak about a bit tonight, is called The Guide to the Perplexed. And The Guide to the Perplexed was a Rambam's philosophical work that is till this very day very controversial. And we will see tonight how controversial, in fact, it was. Now, the philosophy work, the, you know, the Guide to the Perplexed, was really... Um, I suppose in the Rambam's time, the answer to Aristotle, where Aristotelian thought was really influencing the Jewish community in a way, drawing a lot of people. So if we look at what um, atheism does in the 21st century and what uh, Marxism did and, uh, and communism in general, etc., that every generation or two, you have uh, philosophical ideas that are counter to Judaism. And a lot of Jews go after them and they find it quite uh, 
they find it refreshing, they find it enlightening, and invariably reject the Torah. And Aristotle and Aristotelian thought was the thing that did it in the time of the Rambam. And so the Rambam's Guide to the Perplexed was really an answer to that. But it, it is far greater encompassing of many areas of the philosophy behind Judaism. So the two works we're going to f- focus on this evening is one, the Mishnah Torah, which is going to be talking about the Rambam's idea of um, what is prophecy from a, from a philosophical fundamentals ideas of philosophy. And then we're going to see something in the Moran of Uchim, the book Gats Perplexed, which is uh, much more of how this practically manifests itself within the text of the Torah. Okay, so the, the opening, uh, let's call it um, areas of laws in the Mishnah Torah are called the laws of fundamentals of Torah, Yesodea Torah, the fundamentals of Torah. So he says, So one of the fundamental principles within Judaism of faith is that Hashem communicates, gives prophecy to humans. So you should know that, that, that prophecy doesn't come to any imbecile. It is, you have to be a chacham gadol b'chokhmah. Not only wise, but an incredibly wise individual. Gibor b'midotav, a person who has, is mighty in their character traits. Not a person who indulges in their pleasure, worldly pleasures. Rather, he overcomes his desires. Constantly. And he has a very well-settled, broad mind. Okay. So step number one says the Rambam is that firstly you have to accept that there is prophecy. And prophecy, the prophet, the character of the prophet is someone who is um, beyond reproach as far as their character, their wisdom. So if a, if a simpleton comes and says, God spoke to me, we say, not possible. Because you have to be a chacham. So if you're not a chacham, you can't be a prophet. Hashem doesn't give prophecy to, to imbeciles. And Hashem doesn't give prophets prophecy to people who are self-indulging in the world. Okay, starting off there. And he, the Rambam continues. You should understand that the, the prophets um, have lots of, different, there are lots of different levels of prophets. So it's not like there's, there's a singular kind of prophet. That uh, there's one prophet and all, all people prophet. Rather, it's like you get like like you get wise people. You say you get people who are super wise. And you get people uh, they are wiser than others. So same to the prophets. You get prophets that are fantastic prophets, and you get those that are not as high. Now here's the key of the Rambam. All of them, the kulam, all of them. I've underlined it both in the above and below. Let me just um, so. So all of them see their prophetic vision as a dream or as a night image. Or possibly during the day when a deep slumber has fallen upon them. So we read this in Pasha Balotacha. This, these will come up again. When, Moshe, when uh, Miriam and Aaron start questioning the prophecy of Moshe, so what happens is Hashem comes to them and says, when I come to you, I come to you in a vision or a dream, I speak to you. 
וכולם כשמתנדבים איבריהם מזדזזים, מזדזעים. And when they, they hold all their limbs start shaking, and every become, become weak and their bodies, uh, their bodies give way. And their minds become completely clear in order to focus on that which they are about to see. And he quotes a verse from Abraham. So this is in Pasha Lech Lecha, when it's called Brit Ben Pitzarim, when Hashem comes and makes a covenant, there's a terrible, a, a very dark slumber comes on Abraham, and he has this vision. So, so the key over here, the two points, number one, going to the Rambam, every prophet, when they have their prophecy, it is not that, 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 that Hashem is coming into their brains, and, and uh, so to speak, or, or they are hearing voices, it is that they are having an illusion through a dream or a vision. Okay? And when they do it, it's almost like their bodies convulse. That they start shaking and they start trembling. And it's an incredibly awe-inspiring experience. So it's not um, this idea that you're walking down the street and you see this vision out in the sky and you, and you keep walking. It, it's actually quite a traumatic experience according to the Rambam. That you're sitting there, you, you're asleep. Or, you, or you're at least unconscious, and you start shaking and trembling. And, and that's where the prophecy comes. Now, carrying on in the Ramam, says, And you should know that the message that is given to the prophet, that is made known to the prophet, is like an analogy. And, in, and, and he, he comes to understand what the interpretation of this, uh, this, this, this parable is. And he, and he comes to understand what it is. Now, I actually saw once, there was a movie that did this incredibly well. And that is the, uh, the, the movie Noah with Russell Crowe. I don't know if anyone's seen it. But it's when, when Hashem comes to Noah, and it doesn't come to Noah and says, Noah, there's going to be a flood and go build an ark, etc., etc., is that Noah has a dream, and in the dream he sees animals in the water swimming towards what looks like the bottom of a boat. And he wakes up and says, this is, a, this is the prophecy that I'm having, and it is uh, that there's going to be a flood. That's exactly what the Rambam's talking about. So even though, and this is the key, even though if you open up Pashat Noah, comes and says, Hashem came to Noach and said, build yourself an ark, I'm soft, you know, Kate's call basar, that the, the end of all life is coming towards me. Time and time again, we're going to see this idea that, uh, that Hashem speaks to man and tells him A, B, C, and D in what, what appears to us as we read the text as very clear-cut and concise uh, uh, communication between Hashem and the prophet. Okay, as the Rambam says, never happened. It was a vision, it was an image, it was an allegory, it was a mashal, and they interpreted. That's what happened. So he gives examples. Um, as the vision of ja- the ladder with Jacob, our father saw, the angels, the, the angel of God were ascending and descending upon it. So this is in Pasha at um, Vayetzai. So the beginning of Pasha Vayetzai, when Yaakov is fleeing from his brother Esav, he, sleeps in, uh, he goes to sleep in Jerusalem, he has this dream of angels going up and down. So he understands, at least according to the Rambam, that this was a parable interpretation about the rise and fall of kingdoms. So and he gives a, a few other examples that the visions they see, they were analogies. 
And they knew what they meant and they interpreted what they meant. Sometimes the interpretation is told to us clearly in the text and sometimes it's not. Like this one with the angels has not told us what it means. Rambam's telling us what it means. But in the text it doesn't tell us what it means. But according to the Rambam, it is all visions. Carrying on. So you should know something else about prophets. Is that it's not that a prophecy is a direct communication with Hashem, that you can call Hashem and speak to Hashem when you want to speak to Him. Rather, you, you sit and you wait and you, you, have, you have to be in a joyous mood and, and positive, but you, you don't, have, you don't d- determine when that communication is. Okay, because you have to be in a cheerful mood. You can't be a sad mood. A depressive doesn't get a prophecy. You have to be in a positive mood. But the idea over here is that prophecy is a one-way communication. So we, we tefillah, prayer, is a one-way communication. We are communicating with Hashem. Prophecy is Hashem communicating with us. But it doesn't come when we want it. It comes when Hashem determines it. So the idea that the prophet can somehow communicate with the ship. Now, it, it should be clear that most of this doesn't exist anywhere in the text. We never see these ideas of um, man approaching Hashem to communicate with Hashem and Hashem listening and responding. That, that sort of prophecy doesn't happen in the text. We do hear that happen in, uh, in other faith groups. That the community that our, our our prophet, whoever that prophet is, now whether it be uh, Ron L. Hubbard or uh, or others, it's it's they have the ability to communicate with God, or the 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 um, Joseph Smith from the from the Church of Mormon, and so on and so forth. They can communicate with God. They have a direct line to God. We do not have a direct line to God. Even our prophets did not have a direct line to God. God had a more communicative line with them, and Hashem communicated through them. But never did they have the line to God. So the key over here, uh, well, just so far, so it's one way. And all those who who desire to uh, be prophets are called the Bnei Nevi'im, the children of it. And even if people want to be prophets and they do everything, they study, they become chachamim, and they they in sameach and they in the mood and they are holy, pious people, and they want to be prophets and they do everything, that in and of itself is not going to be sufficient in order to allow them to become prophets. Prophecy is very much one way, and Hashem will determine who He decides should be a prophet. And who shall not be a prophet? You cannot, you can train yourself so much, but whether you will have success in that regard or not is up to Hashem. Okay, that's so far. Now there's one exception to the rule. And that's what the Rambam comes and says now. Just scroll down so you can read the English. Uh, Let me see, I'm going to make this a little bit smaller. Okay, sorry if you can't read it, but anyway, I can have it all on the sheet. This, what I've said, vis-a-vis uh, timing and the quality of the prophecy, etc., is true for every single prophet that has existed, bar one, Moses, Moshe. And what is the difference? And he's going to quote four differences between Moshe and the rest of them. One, I'll highlight it in the in the Hebrew. Shekola Navi'im Bachalomare Moshe Benu who uh Firstly, all the other prophets when they had prophecy, it was through a dream or through a vision, Moshe was completely awake. 
Number two, the prophets, what they saw. So not only were they unconscious when they saw it, but what they saw was a vision or an image or an analogy or a parable. Moshe Rabban Malach. He didn't have a messenger. He didn't have a pro, uh, an angel give him his message. It was directly from Hashem and was crystal clear. The way that the Rambam speaks about it elsewhere is that when Moshe had a vision, it was like an Asplakaria Meira. So it was like looking through glass. But when the other prophets had it, it was like a Masplakaria Sheenomira. It was like a, a looking through, um, best way I say, it's looking through tinted windows or through a frosted glass. So we both see someone on the other side of the glass, but what Moshe Rabbeinu sees it through very clear glass, and the rest of us, so the rest of the prophets, saw it through through uh, through a uh, frosted glass. So you get an image of what it is, but you don't see the clarity. So that's number two: is the clarity of the vision. Number three: Everybody shook and shuddered and, sh- and and were completely overwhelmed by the experience. Moshe Rabbeinu was not. He spoke to Hashem, and this is what it says in Pasha Balotcha, like man, like one man speaks to another. There was no, the, the intensity of the experience for Moshe was different to everybody else. And finally, Moshe Rabbeinu enoken ele kosman sheyachpots roach hakodesh lovashto. So every other prophet, as we said earlier that the prophecy was very much dependent on when Hashem wanted the prophecy to take place, not with Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu was different. So everywhere in Chumash where you see the prophecy of Moshe, that is a conversation that Hashem had with Moshe. The, the, the quality of their relationship was very different. But every other prophet, seemingly from Adam, from Adam and Eve, all the way to Mika at the end of uh, or Malachi, uh, Malachi at the end of, uh, of the Tanakh, every single prophet, that's what their prophecy was like, without difference. Now, the key here is you will see that not only was the prophecy different, but the prophet was different. Moshe was very different to everybody else. Now, this is going to be something that's going to sound a little not Jewish, but it is, uh, it's quite profound when we think about it. We learn that all other prophets, when the spirit of prophecy departs from them, return to their tent for their bodily needs, they like all the rest of the people. So when every other, what was the halachas of a prophet? The life of a prophet, what life do they live? So they get married, they have children, they eat, uh, they eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. They do everything like every other Jew. So like a rabbi is today, a rabbi is just another member of the community who has all the exact same mitzvot as everybody else in the community has. And there's no difference between him and everybody else. So to the prophets, they have exactly the same as everybody else. But then, they do not separate from their wives. But Moshe, our master, returned not to his erstwhile abode. Moshe was different. When Moshe goes up Harisinai and comes down, his life is different. He separates from his wife. We know when he's at Harisinai, he does not eat and drink for 40 days. His experience is completely different. Moshe becomes completely different to the rest of us. He separated himself forever from his wife and from matters. His intellect became Apprentice to, apprentice to Hashem. Glory never departed from him. His countenance became adorned with rays of light. His saintliness was like that of angels. Moshe became angelic. So where we always talk about this idea that unlike other faith groups where the holy men of those faith groups are ascetic, 
they take vows of silence, vows of celibacy, vows of hunger, etc., etc. Those are all things to make them more holy and less human. So we say Judaism's not like that. All our rabbis, we eat, we get married, etc., etc. Yes, that's true, except for Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was an exception to the rule. And, and so it's not a matter that he was an exception to the rule and he was a great prophet. His exception to the rule and his prophecy come hand in hand. The fact that he, the nature of his prophecy was so different is very much as a result of the lifestyle that he lived. Or look at the other way around. Because of the prophet that he was necessitated that he live a completely different lifestyle. Moshe separates from his wife. He doesn't eat and drink. What, what, he is the absolute ascetic. And therefore... We, and we say this in Moshe. Oh, there's never been like a prophet in Israel like Moshe. The last uh, penultimate verse in the Torah, or the last verse in the Torah, is that there has never been a prophet like Moshe, and there will never be a prophet like Moshe. Moshe was completely different. Now, just uh, this is something the Rambam doesn't say, but I think it's inferred from the Rambam in other places. Is we also what what other unique trait do we know about Moshe? And that is the fact that Moshe was the most humble individual. Ever lived. That's what the Torah says, and it's not it's not uh, coincidental. But the reality is, is that Moshe's greatness um, and ability to connect to Hashem and his humility were the flip side of the same coin. So the Rambam elsewhere talks about the fact that the reason that the prophetic experience left people so shattered, says that they all shook and they, they, they their bodies trembled. Is because when one individual comes face to face with Hashem, they come face to face with their insignificance in the world. And that experience of feeling nothingless and feeling so fragile and feeling so dependent on Hashem is one that leaves us absolutely um, absolutely um, in awe and awe paralyzes us. And that's the experience of the Prophet. But Moshe, because Moshe was the most humble individual, so it never had that effect on him. Only the individual with the ego finds the idea of their fallibility, their, their mortality, and the insignificance in, in, in the face of Hashem, that person finds the experience quite awestruck and, uh, and, quite fear, and quite frightening. But the individual who's completely humble knows that, so they don't have that experience. All right, so, we, so we've seen up until now um, the Rambam's understanding of the Prophet uh, that we need to read the Chumash in a very different way to the way that we've always read it. That even though it says, and Hashem says to Abraham, Lech lecha, go from your land. It wasn't that, Hashem, that, that Abraham was out at field. Or oh, when Abraham is there and Hashem says, take your son, your firstborn, the one you love, and go sacrifice him on the, on the mountain that I will show you. It didn't happen like that, according to the rabbi. It didn't happen that Hashem came to Abraham and said, go take him. Is that Abraham was sleeping or had a vision and in which he was awestruck, and he saw an image. And that image he knew intuitively. He had the insights and character that told him that this is what Hashem wants him to do. When the Torah writes it, it writes like a direct command. But when Avram experienced it, it was not that. And so on and so forth with every single prophet throughout the Torah. Even with Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not clear exactly when Moshe became, like when does Moshe become Moshe? We see that the first time Hashem comes to Moshe is at the burning bush. Is, is it really Moshe like this? I mean, we know at that point, Moshe is married, he's got children, he's, uh, he doesn't leave his wife yet. Moshe only when he goes up Mount Sinai the second time does, does all of these things happen. So it's not entirely clear when Moshe that we call Moshe Rabbeinu becomes Moshe Rabbeinu. Seemingly it's on Har Sinai, not beforehand, meaning that up until 
Har Sinai, and the giving of the Torah, Moshe was a prophet like all the other prophets. So I want to show you uh, now um, how this manifests in the Chumash. And this, if you have not read it before, is, is a, a mind-blowing way of, of reading the Torah. So for two seconds, I'm just going to give you a little bit of um, a Parsha background. So we are now going to, the Rambam, as I mentioned, so we've read up until now, the Rambam's uh, Mishnah Torah, his halachic work that is accepted universally throughout the Jewish world. What we're going to now see is the Rambam's God to the Perplexed. And the regard to the Perplexed was an incredibly controversial work, so much so that it was burned throughout Europe as a heretical text, and till this very day is almost never learned within the yeshiva walls. Very for, very, in, in the vast majority of the yeshivot, they have, do not learn the modern Nebuchim, and you will shortly see for one of the reasons why not, because it is so controversial. So the story we're going to be dealing with is the story of um, beginning of Parshat Vayera. So Avraham has just had his bris. And the Parsha begins as follows. And Hashem appeared to him at the, uh, in the fields of Mamre. He was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. Now, Rashi over here comes and says that this is the day immediately after the bris that he did at the end of Parsha Lech Lecha, which precedes this. Avram has just circumcised himself. And so Hashem comes to visit him to see how he's feeling. And Avram lifted up his eyes and he saw there were three people standing over him. And he runs after them. Avram runs after these three men and bows down to him. And he says, says, My masters, please do not pass from me. Uh, please don't pass away from me. I'll get you some, some water and I'll wash your feet. Rest under the tree. And I'll give you some bread and you'll eat and be satiated. And then you can go. Please don't pass by. And they said, alright, do what you say. So the Rambam is going to pick up on this, um, this initial one. And Hashem appeared to them in the terabits, which means the plains of Mamre. Okay. The Lord appeared to him. Now he was sitting at the entrance of the tent and he looked up, he saw three men. So what is Hashem doing? That, that, that's the question that the commentator says. Hashem appeared to him and then what? What does Hashem do? What does Hashem say? So that's where Rashi comes and says, ah, Hashem came Biko Cholim. He came to visit uh, Avram after having the bris. But it's very unusual to see that, that Hashem comes to Avraham and doesn't do, it doesn't do anything. So this, now we are quoting now, this is not the Rambam, but the Ramban, Nachmanides, and he's just going to quote the Rambam in the Moronavuchim. And uh, this is where it gets going. Now the Rambam's going to, Ramban, which we're not going to see in its entirety, is just going to absolutely lash out at the Rambam. But look at it, it says. In the book Moronavuchim, the book of the place of the Rambam, it says that this portion of scripture contains a general statement followed by a detailed description. Meaning, it says with something very, very general and then goes into the details. Thus, scripture first says that the eternal appeared to Abraham in the form of prophetic visions and then explains in what manner this vision took place. Namely, that he, Abraham, lifted his eyes in a vision and lo, three men stood by him. And he said, if now I found favor in your eyes, this is the account of what is said in the prophetic vision to one of them, namely their chief. Meaning as follows. The Lord appeared to him. So this is the way the Rambam wants to read it. The Lord appeared to him, Avraham, in a vision 
And what was the vision that the the vision was that he was sitting at the tent in the heat of the day and he saw three men near him. This is all a vision. It never happened. There were never three men passing by it. By it. Now, if the vision there appeared to Avram, only men partake of it. How does the scripture say the eternal appeared to him as God did not appear to him a vision and thought? In other words, why does scripture begin the chapter with the statement the eternal appealed to him when the detailed account of vision explained he saw any angels? Okay, so it says, why would Hashem, why would it say Hashem, Hashem without telling what Hashem did? It says, according to the author of the Moran of Uchim. So now this is the Ramban, Nachmanides, struggling with the, that explanation of the Ramban. It says, Sarah did not need cakes, nor did Abraham prepare a bullock meat. And also Sarah did not laugh. It was all a vision. Similarly, did not the author of the Moran Vuchan say in this case of the verse, and man wrestled with him. So later in Pasha Vayishlach, we're going to see that the Vata Yaakov Levador, Yaakov was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the night, until, until the dawn. And then the man dislocated his, his hip and he held him and says, what are you doing? Give me, let me go. And he says, I won't let you go to give me a blessing. And the guy gives uh, Yaakov a blessing. Says according to, this is all a vision. Never happened. There was never a prophet. There was never a man wrestling with Abraham. There was never thing. But this be the case. I do not know why. So, so, the, so the the Ramban said, but but Yaakov limped, and we don't eat the part of the the hind quarters of the of the animal because of the limp. So the Ramban struggles now. According to this author's opinion, we'll find necessary for the sake consistency simile that the effect of Lot and the angels did not come to his house, nor did he bake unleavened bread, nor did they eat. It was all a vision, meaning that according to the Ramban, so these three angels come. They speak to Abraham. They tell Abraham, "You're going to have a child," and it's going. And then and then Abraham argues with the angel, "Please don't destroy the city of Sodom." And then the angels go down to Sodom and they rescue Lot. And then the city of Sodom is destroyed. According to the Rambam, none of this ever happened. It's unbelievable. Any of all these things, they just don't happen because these things are just visions. That's how prophecy works. Now, what I haven't quoted in the Rambam, and he does say this elsewhere, is that the idea that man and angel can communicate with one another like we, like we speak is also a fallacy, that man can't speak to angels. So anytime you see interaction between man and an angel, it's also going to be a vision or an image. So for example, uh, two weeks ago we read about Bilam's donkey talking to him. It says the Rambam never happened. There was never a talking donkey. Donkeys don't talk. But it was a vision that, that Bilam had talking to donkey. Now, the Ramban has a problem with it. Lots of others have problems with it. And it's very difficult from the test because there are going to be other top parts where, for example, we mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. These are mentioned in other parts of the Torah. So if it never happened, why would they be mentioned? You know, we're going, you know remember, what hap- remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Rambam is very clear. Is that do not think for a second that these things happen. So when you read the Chumash through the eyes of the Rambam, and he's very consistent with the ideas of prophecy, is that if prophecy means of having images of speaking to, 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 to angels and, and having communication with Hashem, it has to be that those things never happened in real time, at least not as we would understand it. They were all visions. So it just shifts the text. and beca- it's, it's, a, it's a revolutionary way of looking at the Chumash, if you haven't seen that. I can understand why people burnt the books of the Rambam. Because if you start saying that Avram never spoke to these three men and angels, and Yaakov never wrestled with the uh, never wrestled with the angel, and and, uh, and then you're going to say Adam and Eve never spoke to a snake, these are all 
what the Rambam says. And most people, and I'm going to guess that most people in the court today, believe that that's what Judaism believes. That that uh, that these conversations happened in 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 the way that uh, that Torah says happened. The Rambam says they never happened like that. And not only do they not, it's illogical to think that they happened like that because prophets don't prophesize like that. Yes, it says that Hashem spoke to Noach. And Noach, you should build this ark, etc., etc. But Hashem doesn't speak to prophets like that. It never happens. It was always through an image. And albeit that it's, it's difficult to digest, but um, we know through Hashem himself, when he speaks to, when he rebukes Aaron and Miriam, and he calls them and says to them, you should know that when I speak to you and I speak to Moshe, it's very different. You, I speak through visions and, and through, um, through um, marshals, through analogies. But Moshe, I speak peo peo. I speak to him face to face. I speak to him mouth to mouth. Which means even that experience itself was an image and a, and a vision. So you have a very different way of understanding the Rambam. So no, we don't have to agree with the Rambam. Uh, no, sorry, I disagree. We don't have to, um, we can very comfortably sit in other camps that disagree with the Rambam. But no one seems to disagree completely with the fact that the Rambam's idea of prophecy, of that it was um, vis-a-vis, uh, it was analogies and it wasn't as clear and that the prophecy of Moshe was different to the prophecy of all the others, that seems to be something that everybody's consistent with. Maybe not specifically in every case in the way the Rambam understands it, but uh, in general. So at least, if nothing else, it gives us a much clearer understanding of the prophetic experience. When people say, oh, prophecy doesn't happen today, and they're not wrong, but the chances are it's the kind of prophecy that people think you know, of never happened ever. It was uh, something that was unique to Moshe because I think we think of uh, prophecy in general very much as the prophecy of Moshe and that was something very unique rather than something that was um, quite uh, general through the entirety of the prophetic experience. Okay, so thank you very much everybody. I'll now unmute you. If anyone has any questions, by all means, please. I'll move the spotlights. Anyone would like to say? Yes, Chazam. The question about the prophet, the, the, not Moshe, sure but other prophets, and it sounds like the way that they prophesied was any normal person could technically go through those experiences and could technically prophesize. So there's got to be something qualitatively different between the prophets and the normal people. How did how did the the Klal accept that these particular prophets were in fact prophets? And also, it seems like anybody could technically have had a prophecy. Okay, so we, we will touch on that next week when we start talking about the content of the prophecy because, um, you know, could anyone become a prophet? So as far as if they, if they managed to make up with the, um, with the uh, they had the character, they had the wisdom, then all it meant is that they had the potential to become a prophet. But as we said earlier, that even the Rambam says that even if you have all those things, not necessarily that Hashem is going to grant you the opportunity. It's very possible that you won't become a prophet. So that's number one. Number two is, um, so how do we know that a prophet is legitimate? A person comes and says, I'm a prophet. Uh, do we listen to them or not? So we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. And the Chumash itself in Pashat Shoftim and Pashat Re'ei talk about the idea that um, about testing a prophet. That in essence, if a prophet comes and tells you something, uh, the prophet's never going to tell you to break the Torah. So it's going to tell you something, you know, do mitzvot or, or don't do a virus. But uh, the content will be uh, very, very different. So any any Chaim Shmerel potentially could be a prophet if they were a Chacham and they uh, had good character. 
then it's potential. The reality is, and I'm, I'm reading the book of, um, I'm reading a book now that is on the book of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, should appreciate that most prophets weren't believed. That the vast majority of the prophets in the Chumash, we, we think of prophets, like if you think of Elijah, we think, of, we, we, think we, we wax very fond of Elijah, that what a great prophet he was, and we always talk about it. But he was an incredibly detested figure in his time. Everyone hated him. No one listened to Elijah. He, you know, Elijah was the prophet of Dune. Elijah was the closest thing, you know, if you see those guys walking around with placards saying the end of the world is nigh, repent ye sinners or you're going to burn in hell. That's what Elijah was. That's what Jeremiah was. These were not uh, prophets who, you know, they weren't the, the, the popular guys on the street. They were very unpopular. And so as far as believability goes, unfortunately, you're right. They were never believed. But the large reason that they were never believed is because the message they often gave was one that we didn't want to hear. And unfortunately, as we all know, if someone rebukes you, you don't like hearing it. So like the, similarly, the prophets, um, their, their messages are very seldom heard. <laughs> but we'll do it next, more next week. Any other questions? Um, okay. All right. To, uh, uh, yes. Up, sorry. Um, it's Tracy. Yes. Um, Jonah and the whale. Was that a... A vision that he had was a wasn't a prophecy. I understand that, but it also is um, kind of hard to wrap one's head around it. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, I don't know specifically what how the Rambam would read that. Um, I don't think it bizarre is it. I mean, there was a story recently, uh, like a, like a few no. weeks ago, about some guy got swallowed by a fish. I think it was only in there for a few minutes, but... Um, um, it was a whale. Oh, was it a whale? Oh, that was, uh, okay, yeah, it was, it was down south coast or something. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but to the best of my knowledge, I, I recall somewhere in the back of my mind that the whole book of Jonah is an analogy rather than a, an actual historical account. Um, I'm pretty sure the Vilna Gohan has it like that. I know someone says it. But I don't know for certain who. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the Rambam, so for example, you have um, different commentaries, like did Bilam's donkey speak to him? So the Barbanel also comes and says, no, Bilam's donkey didn't speak to him. It was all a, an image. But the Barbanel doesn't say that with regards to the snake in the Garden of Eden, where the Rambam does say that with regards to the snake in the Garden of Eden. So I don't know specifically on those, but I, I find that they're less problematic because there's nothing, it's, it's, and that falls more into the the realm of the miraculous than in the realm of the prophetic. So did a, did, a, did something eat him and swallow him? Like did the the land swallow up um, um, Korach? Did fire come down? So these are these are more in the questions of mir- the miraculous than in the questions of the prophetic. So um, it's a different question, but yeah. The burning bush. Did, that, did Moshe see that? I know you said it was a different kind of prophet, but was that him having a prophecy and a vision, or was that an actual thing? So, I mean, I mentioned it. I think that when we call Moshe being the different prophet, I think that comes from uh, from Har Sinai. I think prior to that, Moshe probably fell into the same category as all the other prophets. So that, we, that according to the Rambam, I imagine that the burning bush would also have just been a, an image vision. Which is, um, yeah, again, I, not, I, everyone disagrees with the rumba. So I'm the, I'm the first to admit that everyone disagrees with the rumba. But, um, but I felt it was important because 
when I, one day I opened up this the the Morna Vuchim, got to perplexed, and uh, I was asking my Rosh Kollel. Um, I said, like, you know, I want to learn this. He says, you can't learn the guide to perplex unless you know what everybody else says. Because you only see how controversial the Rambam is when you realize that everyone else says, everyone says this, and the Rambam says different. And that's what makes it su- such a controversial book. So, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm happy to look it up a bit. It's not an easy book to read. I've got like a summarized book in my office on the, on the guide to perplex on the parasha. I'll look into it, but um, I, I don't think there'd be any difference between that and any other prophetic experience. Anyone else? All right, everybody, thank you very much. Tomorrow night we'll be doing going through the service, doing Kabbalat Shabbat. Hope to see you all then, and I wish you all a pleasant evening. Laila Tov.